0: welcome to the main column proudly brought to you by our season sponsor merikem Maricem is a global leader in full-service sulfur removal caustic treating and spent caustic treatment technologies we also provide spent caustic handling services as an alternative to technology solutions merikem's reputation stands on principles of proven performance unsurpassed expertise and an uncommon commitment to its customers for more information visit merikem.com
1: So hello everyone. I'd like to welcome you all to the latest installment of Hydrocarbon Processings podcast series, the Main Column. I'm your host Lee Nichols, and today we have a very special guest joining us on this episode of the Main Column, Muhammad Islam, who is the Vice President, Commercial and Technology for S and B. Now we're going to be diving into several topics around uh, topics like project management and development, and we've got a lot to get to on this episode. So I want to go ahead and welcome in our special guest. Muhammad, how are you doing today?
0: I'm doing fine. Thank you.
1: Excellent. Now, before we dive into the bulk of the questions I have for you today, um, can you just start off by telling the listeners a little bit more about S&B and, of course, your role with the company?
0: S&B is a full-service direct hire EPC company with over 7,000 employees in 21 locations around the US. Partnerships are the foundation of our business and we work hand in hand with our customers from the earliest stages on a project and then help them to bring their project to life. As far as my role, uh, I'm vice president, commercial and technology based in s and Houston office in the energy corridor. For more than 40 years, I've been involved in synthesis gas and derivative projects, including hydrogen, carbon monoxide, or HICO, carbon capture, ammonia, urea, methanol, methanol to gasoline, gas to liquids, etc., both in technical and commercial roles. Over the years, I've built up strong relationships with well-known and developing technology licensors, and expertise that I bring to our clients.
1: Excellent, excellent. So, I mean, judging by your 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 experience, it seems like you've worked with almost everything. (laughs) So, (laughs) I I know it's uh, it's great to have uh, you know an expert like you in in the field to talk to about this um, because. A couple of things you mentioned, of course, and uh, when you're talking about the, the projects that you've worked on is is some of the ones that, of course, fall into this category of energy transition uh, projects. So before we dive into that, you know, what are some of the major trends that you're seeing in the energy transition?
0: SMB uh, has executed many projects in traditional markets uh, such as gas processing, fractionation, chemicals, petrochemicals and refining. Now we're seeing tremendous interest in the energy transition market, given the desire to reduce greenhouse gas emissions to combat global warming and availability of tax credits and other incentives. Energy transition is a broad term. So in our case at S&B, we're focused on hydrogen, ammonia, methanol, carbon capture, circular economy and e-fuels, areas where we can utilize our technical and process knowledge and make a positive impact. In the U.S., renewable fuel and low carbon fuel standards have been mandated by federal and state agencies for several years. The recent Inflation Reduction Act or IRA has given more impetus to energy transition projects, whereby production tax credits, or PTC, are available for clean hydrogen.
1: Yeah, and I'm glad you mentioned the US IRA because it was a great segue into where I wanted to go next. Um, I know a lot of the different types of events I've been to over the past uh, several months. Almost every one of those has mentioned IRA, and it's become a huge hot topic uh, among uh, our, our brand as well as some of the other brands that, that that we published. So my question is then what impacts are you seeing from the US IRA on energy transition projects?
0: The IRA incentives are significant and can really impact project profitability and viability. Lowering the carbon intensity or CI is the goal to maximize tax credits via IRS 45Q or 45V. If you'll allow me, I'm going to get a bit technical uh, for a moment. 45Q is based on inflation adjusted tax credit of $85 per metric tons of CO2 captured and sequestered and is available for 12 years. 45V, on the other hand, is a tiered inflation-adjusted tax credit system ranging from $0.60 per kilogram of hydrogen up to $3 per kilogram of hydrogen for 10 years for life cycle greenhouse gas emission expressed as CO2 equivalent that ranges from 4 kilograms to less than 0.45 kilograms per kilogram of hydrogen produced so when hydrogen is produced by electrolysis of water using renewable power such as solar wind hydroelectric etc that is green hydrogen the tax credit is 3 dollars per kilogram of hydrogen produced that is the topmost tier of 45b this results in a significant amount of tax credit I'll give an example. For a 100 megawatt hydrogen plant, uh, which is approximately 40 metric tons per day of hydrogen, which is equivalent to producing approximately 220 metric tons per day of ammonia, the 45V tax credit can be $42 million per year or $420 million over 10 years in $22, 2022 dollars. Blue projects are fossil-based, feedstock-based projects with carbon capture and sequestration. If the life cycle greenhouse gas emission is between 0.45 and 1.5 kilogram of CO2 equivalent per kilogram of hydrogen produced, which is the second tier of 45V, then the production tax credit is $1 for every kilogram of hydrogen produced. So in this case, another example, for a 500 metric tons per day of hydrogen, which is equivalent to producing approximately 2750 metric tons of ammonia, the tax credit can be 175 million dollars per year or 1.75 billion dollars over 10 years in 2022 dollars you know so all these are helping the tremendous growth in energy transition projects such as hydrogen ammonia methanol and e-fuels we're already seeing an increase in both blue and green projects the right term to use is low carbon intensity energy transition projects rather than the color codes. As we speak, some of these projects are already in the field, and many more are under development.
1: No I mean those those numbers you just mentioned with the tax credit are incredible. So yeah, I, I guess then my next question to follow up on that is, uh, so you're a project developer or owner. I mean, what are those? groups need to know about how to maximize those IRA credits that are available?
0: Very good question. As I said earlier, the key is to minimize the CI score to maximize tax credits and increase the internal rate of return or IRR of a project. This is very important to understand for not only project developers and owners, but also other stakeholders such as engineers, lenders, off-takers. That means all project stakeholders. For green hydrogen, some of the questions that need to be answered are, number one, source, availability, and cost of renewable power. Where is it coming from? Is it continuous or intermittent? What is the power cost? Because power cost is a significant portion of the hydrogen production cost and therefore appropriate attention needs to be given to it. Another very important question is the type of electrolyzers to be used. Is it alkaline or PEM or sose Alkaline electrolyzers have been commercially available for many decades. PEM electrolyzer is relatively new, and SOAC is currently under development and demonstration. The ultimate electrolyzer selection for a particular project is dependent upon shop production capacity and availability, efficiency of the electrolyzers, life cycle cost, response time to load changes, etc. We expect that the shop production capacity and indeed cost of these various types of electrolyzers will improve in the coming years to make green project commercially more attractive. Another important question is the percentage carbon capture to meet the carbon intensity goals. Most projects are looking for 95-plus percent carbon capture, which is technically feasible. Carbon capture can be pre-combustion or post-combustion, or in a project it could be both. Uh, as processed gas contains a high concentration of CO2 at relatively high pressure, um, the pre-combustion CO2 capture is more economical. In post-combustion, due to low pressure of flue gas and low concentration of CO2 in the flue gas, it is more capital intensive. However, the fuel in the combustor can be replaced with non-carbon fuels such as ammonia or low carbon fuels such as hydrogen rich fuel, resulting in the reduction of carbon emissions in the flue gas. This can be done by a number of ways, including Producing more hydrogen or enriching any perch gas by removing carbon oxides and then using it as a fuel in fired heater or reformer. So we must also consider carbon intensity of the supply chain and not just for the production unit itself. Therefore, Careful consideration should be given to not only what's happening inside the plant boundary, but also for the entire supply chain, including generation, transportation, and distribution of the feedstock, the fuel, and power that the plant needs. Simply put, lower CI scores generate more credits, and therefore more revenue, Project developers and engineers must pay careful attention to it during the design phase of the project. Only evaluating CapEx versus OpEx no longer paints the full picture when evaluating and performing engineering design optimization for a project. For example, a more energy efficient design uh, that has less CO2 emissions may not only reduce electricity demand at the expense of increased capital, but we will also lower the CI score of the product and therefore increase tax credits. Another way to actually lower the carbon intensity is the utilization of renewable natural gas or RNG as a feedstock. So these are some of the examples uh, or questions uh, that uh, our clients need to have. Uh, answers for, and, and we certainly can help them in answering some of these questions and developing projects for them.
1: Mm-hmm. No, and that's a great segue to my next question, because after listening to, to that last answer, it seems like there's a lot of different technology pathways that these project developers can take. So whenever they talk to you know a well-known EPC company like SMB, how how can a company like yours or other EPC contractors help? you know, these project developers and owners select the optimum flow scheme and these different types of technologies for their projects?
0: Another very good question. Um, Yeah, most of our clients actually have a, uh, I would say 50,000 foot overview of various process technologies that are available in the market. However, they need help in deciding which one is the most optimum for their particular project. At SNB, we have the know-how to compare various licensors and the uniqueness of their technologies to make an informed decision on selecting the best one for our customers. Recently, SNB has partnered with uh, one of our existing oil and gas customers on its first energy transition project. The customer turned to SB early in the process for advice on selecting the right licensor for the project. We are in the process of comparing multiple licensors for this client with the goal of recommending the most optimum one that meets their goals. Often these projects require more than one licensor making it essential that we intimately know the pros and cons of various technologies available, how they work with each other and propose the right solution for successful delivery of the project. As mentioned uh, before, um, it is not only CapEx and OPEX that a designer must pay attention to. Lowering the carbon intensity is another important factor to consider for energy transition projects. At SNB, we have engineers and designers that have the know-how to provide our customers with the most optimized plant. Taking into account CapEx, OPEX and carbon intensity.
1: No, and, and that's pretty incredible now that yeah, you don't have to just think about, you know, what's the capital cost, then how is it going? How much is it going to cost to operate with all these other different uh, uh, items that go into into running the plant and of course building the plant? Um, and so for my last question is we talked a lot about these energy transition projects. And so uh, my last question is, so what specific work is S&B doing within these markets?
0: So S&B is currently executing several energy transition projects in green and blue hydrogen, green and blue ammonia, blue methanol, carbon capture, and circular economy. And I'll give you some examples uh, of those. There are several green hydrogen projects that we're executing right now. Uh, First, SNB has completed FEL2 and FEL3 services, and is now executing EPC for a 15 tons per day green hydrogen production and distribution facility in the Southeast USA. The project is being, as we speak, the project includes production of hydrogen via PEM electrolyzers, which will then be liquefied, stored, and loaded into a refrigerated tanker for distribution to end users in the region. This is the first of multiple such plants planned to be installed across the U.S. for our customer. Second, we're providing fl2 and fl3 services for the expansion of the projects i just mentioned this expansion at the same location will add another 15 tons per day of green hydrogen production that will also include liquefaction storage and loading facilities third we're performing fl3 services for a 30 tons per day green hydrogen facility in Southwest USA that will support fueling stations in the Western US region. This is the first of several plant phases to build out this major green hydrogen hub for our customer. So that's hydrogen. Now uh, focusing on ammonia. Ammonia is another market that we're very heavily involved in right now. It is not a surprise that ammonia best known as a fertilizer to date, is now being considered as a convenient means to transport hydrogen and as a potential non-carbon fuel. Currently, approximately 190 million tons per year of ammonia is being produced globally. Ammonia is being considered for use in new applications such as fuel in boiler, especially in coal-fired boilers, gas turbine, and even ship. The demand is expected to grow by more than 4% annually, which represents 70% increase by 2035. That's a lot of additional ammonia that needs to be produced over the next few years. This is good news for us in this country, as a number of these projects are expected to be built in the U.S. Given no natural gas feedstock cost, abundant renewable energy, and they recently announced IRA tax credits. Ammonia is easier, more cost effective to carry long distance compared to hydrogen, and therefore, export from the US is targeting energy starved countries such as Japan and South Korea. A fact. Ammonia is liquid at minus 27 degree Fahrenheit and hydrogen is much, much colder at minus 423 degree Fahrenheit under atmospheric condition. So for long distance, it is better to actually convert hydrogen to ammonia and then transport that ammonia to its destination rather than liquid hydrogen. It can be done, but given the temperature, uh, the coldness of hydrogen compared to ammonia, ammonia is a better choice for shipping uh, long distance. So SNB is involved in several ammonia projects, both blue and green. Uh, one such project is a two train, each with a capacity of 4,000 tons per day of blue ammonia, and that's wall-scale capacity, by the way, to be located In the US Gulf Coast, for which we are currently executing FEL3. Once FID is achieved, we expect to continue with it into EPC. We also are seeing uh, methanol as another market that uh, is uh, uh, being considered. Um, Traditionally, methanol has been utilized or has been utilized. in the production of chemicals and energy carrier, but now we see it being considered and also being utilized as fuel, including marine marine applications. There is demand for both blue and green methanol. SNB is executing two blue methanol projects, one currently in FEL3, and the other one is in digital engineering. And lastly, I'm going to just uh, go through our experience or current projects that we're doing in circular economy. That is also a growing market and we've been active too in that market. A few examples, Um, we have completed feed and are awaiting FID on a 420,000 tons per year of advanced recycling facility in Texas this plant will convert waste plastics via pyrolysis to chemicals and will divert more than 300 million pounds of plastic waste from landfills annually so that's a great way of actually reducing landfills and 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 using that waste uh, plastic to produce chemicals we've also completed fl 2 and fl 3 for a 240 metric tons per day of advanced recycling facility currently under construction in the Midwest. And finally, we have completed FEL2 and shortly commence FEL3 for a large biomass to get to chemical facility, which will be located in the U.S. Gulf Coast. So hopefully that gives you a synopsis of our work in the energy transition market uh, at S&B.
1: Well, I mean, it definitely sounds like y'all are busy. <laughs> so that's
0: good. <laughs> we are.
1: <laughs> excellent. Excellent. Well, listen, Mohammed, I know how busy you are, so I really want to thank you for providing us just a couple minutes of your time today to be here on the Main Column podcast. I really sincerely want to thank you and to learn a little bit more about S&B and, of course, your thoughts about these new energy transition projects and how these project developers can take advantage of of, of some of the um, incentives and and, and whatnot and what they have to think about when they, they are developing these projects. So really, really want to thank you for your time. And of course, we really want to thank all of you for listening to this latest installment of Hydrocarbon Processing's podcast series, The Main Column.